Hermanos, mis hermanas, azules. Hey, it's MC coming at you. It's uh, another episode of uh, Brownie and Blue, baby. So we've just been talking about a lot of serious things. We've been talking about a lot of uh, serious, uh, what I would call traumatic and even dramatic things that happen in police officers' lives. Uh, the past three episodes, uh, I've referenced uh, certain incidences, certain situations. Um, and to get into this episode, I have my first guest. Uh, I am honored that Al has, uh, has joined me. Al has firsthand experience in everything that we've been talking about with, uh, with just mental health and also um, how he's dealt with it and how the department has dealt with him in many capacities. Um, so just to give you a quick introduction with Al, Al has over 30 years of uh, not only uh, just law enforcement experience, but just uh, life experience in a lot of different ways. Um, and I just want to quickly just get into this and I just want to ask Al uh, to say hello to the Mi Gente crowd. Hello, how you doing now? Al is not uh, a man of many words, but we will uh, get into it. Uh, let me go ahead and ask um, Al this quick question. Can you tell the listeners your story as it relates to the mental health and policing? Yeah, sure. So, MC, that's a good question. I think that uh, to start off, I guess the best way for me to, to uh, break into the mental health aspect is to talk about the policing. So, uh, like you, I have about two decades of police work. And uh, during that time, a lot of people will see uh, police work on TV, movies, or they read about it in the newspaper, but they don't really get or understand or feel exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, <clears throat> it's not just um, out there doing traffic stops or uh, running and gunning. It's really not. The, the majority of it is talking to people. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to people, and I think we talk, you talked about... Empathy in your last episode and sympathy. Yep. And uh, most police officers that I've come into contact with have either empathy or sympathy, but the ones who have empathy are the ones who suffer the most. Mm. Now, the reason I say that is, is when you got two, two decades in police work, right? It's not just what you see. It's what you smell when you go into that house and someone's been dead for two weeks and the smells that come out of that house. The things you hear, the screams of a mother as her child's having CPR done to it or unfortunately maybe have, has passed away. Um, the things you feel when you're empathetic, you can feel that person's pain when you have a when you're when you have a heart of empathy. Mm -hmm. So you're doing that for 20 years. And, and that's how police work has been for me. A lot of empathy, sharing the pain and then people sharing my pain as well. So. We can break into the uh, mental health aspect of that after 20 years. So with mental health, everyone has a life, regardless of what your job is. Uh, you know, you can be a clerk, firefighter, nurse, uh, doctor, police officer, whatever it is you are. Um, that life is in some way, shape or form is going to give you stress. Mm -hmm. Right. And the job of a police officer gives you a lot of stress. And I'm sure others do, too. But I'm going to speak from the police side of things. 
So with mental health, <clears throat> for a long time, anything you saw, you would see a smashed up body in a traffic accident. And as soon as you cleared from there, the next thing you're handling someone complaining about their neighbor's leaves falling on their yard. Right. And you just had to deal with a traumatic experience with empathy. And now you go to a house where a guy has complained on his neighbor about something as trivial as that. Well, that plays hell on your emotions on the inside. You know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I get where you're going with this because I think that's the misconception is uh, police officers. It's a misconception for one that police officers are just able to handle everything. And we can't. We can't handle everything. So there has to be certain things at play, um, I think, from a departmental standpoint and across the board where police officers need to be, in a sense, held accountable for their feelings and how those things go about from one call to the next. Um, and how do, how do we do that? I have, I have no clue. Um, but, yeah, I definitely get where you're going. Uh, please expound more on what it is. Yeah, so with the mental health aspect of that, an empathetic police officer is going to suffer and it's going to get probably a little bit more complaints because we're all human beings. It's not just our uniform with a badge and a gun. We're a human being. An empathetic officer is going to suffer. What And to touch on more of what you kind of just said, I don't know the uh, cure, if you will, for that. But I can tell you a good start is empathetic leaders who mm. take care of their troops you see, a leader most of the time doesn't have to deal with the public because that's not their job. That's the officer's job. A leader takes care of their troops with empathy and love, right? Yep. So that's the way it's supposed to work. If a leader takes care of their troops, their troops take care of the mission. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, a leader needs to monitor his people constantly. And I don't mean micromanage. By no means do I mean micromanage. You need to monitor your people. What, what that means is pull up to them and say, hey, how you doing? On those special dates, when something traumatic has happened, put it, put something in your calendar and mark that in your calendar and contact them that day. If, they're, if you're not working or if you are working, come up, say, hey, man, let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's talk. How you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And that right there would uh, would uh, would assist in getting through a lot of these mental health issues. So so you're so you're so just to just to come in. So you're you're talking about. These leaders, right, that we claim as leaders. So in my past experience as a leadership thing, they had to make uh, certain leaders, once they get promoted, go through uh, leadership class or leadership training. Okay, mm -hmm. And in that leadership training, all they talked about was, you know, certain cultural differences, um, mm -hmm. certain certain ways, personality differences, maybe age differences and how people react to certain things. Because as a supervisor, you're dealing with a, you're dealing with a squad or a group of folks that may encompass those those different groups. But when it comes to actually teaching or even affecting good leadership, I'd never heard anything where it talked about the the little things that you're talking about, which is how are you doing? How is everything going after a traumatic event, whether it's on duty or off duty, you know, mm -hmm. following up with those individuals individually and even just talking about it as a squad, maybe not in specific to that person, but just in the sense of just everybody and being it very much more inclusive with with the 
those little things that actually attribute to great mental health within not only your squad, but as you say, it could also curry favor amongst the other people, which are command staff and, and the higher ranks. But unfortunately for me, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen this too, where it's, it's, it's the old story of leadership is just given based off of promotion. But yet the fact is, is that these people go into these situations and they don't actually know how to lead with empathy as you're talking about, or just in general, trying to get to know their people, which ultimately leads into empathy. Right, right. And so what we see a lot is people getting promoted beyond their capabilities. Um, what I mean by that, <clears throat> people getting putting, put into positions of leadership or management, and uh, they're promoted beyond their capabilities, um, be it a good old boy system, what have you. What happens is, you know, I'm, I'm of the belief that, so we talked about a leader in the heart of empathy. So you can't really... If someone's heart is one way, you can't create it to be differently. So I, I'm under the belief system that leaders are born, not made. However, everyone has some small piece of leadership in them. Just some, some people just, it's, it's, it's bad leadership. You know what I mean? So right. what, what, what I'd like to see is the good leaders taken, cultivated, and put into positions of uh, influence. So as your sphere of influence grows... You need to have more leadership skills, and some people don't have it. You cannot teach leadership in a classroom for six days, five days, whatever, and expect, okay, now that person, there you go. Because the person with the highest rank ain't always the smartest, best, or most empathetic person in the room. <laughs> we know that for sure. Yeah, so what, what you see a lot is the buck stops here, talk, but where the buck really stops is on the lower levels. And there's two sets of rules, almost uh, uh, what's in it for, for me, not for thee mm -hmm. type of thing. So. Um, it's an unfortunate thing. So the mental health aspect, looping that back into this, is when you have people that are more worried about the next brass ring, how in the world are they going to be worried about those four, five, six guys and girls below them and how they're doing? Mm -hmm. they're more, they're, they look at things more as a uh, CYA, uh, what administrative thing can I do to cover myself, not... What empathetic thing can I do to take care of my troop and fix a problem that might not manifest for 20 years? That's that that right there in itself is such a key thing of what we're talking about and how reformation in police departments across the country um, to attack mental health and to really take it seriously, I think, is is this is at the heart of it, because. It's not about what the it's not about what the the brave men and women that go out each and every day on the front lines. They see a ton of crazy stuff. They they they've gone from one traumatic call to maybe not so traumatic call, but then you build that up with their life, you build that up with their work-life balance, kids, all the other issues that's going on in their life. And then here we have leaders, right? Even in this day and age, we see on TV the the kind of spineless nature of certain leaders and how they're they're kind of placating to the masses instead of really looking at you know how is this affecting my department my team my personnel and i think what you just said is a great uh it's 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 impactful and and you know it's very missed upon i think in a lot of different areas when it comes to policing um, 
Because as you just said, not all leaders know these things. And, and I agree with you. I was under the mindset that, you know, you said leaders are born and not made. I, I would even go as to say there's people that come into a room that announce that they're the leader. Well, that guy's not that guy or gal is not the leader. There's a person that walks into a room and automatically they're ascribed leadership because everybody in that room respects them. They revere them for all these things that you're talking about. Now, one thing I wanted to get with you about is, you know, I know, um, you know, you've been through a lot. You've had your own traumatic experiences um, in life. Um, You know, I wanted to talk to you if you'd be so inclined to talk about your experience uh, specifically with uh, what happened with you and and how the pros and cons of uh, the process of um, support, non-support, uh, how those things played out for you and how what was great that was done, what was seen to be as something that could be better or, or something that could be, you know, a goal that you could actually set as a standard for police departments. Yeah, sure. Uh, once again, another great question, MC. So I'll start with the pros on that. So when, when my situation happened, and uh, it's something you talked about on your last episode, where um, my wife had unfortunately uh, taken her life due to some mental issues. Um, uh, not to get too deep into that whole situation. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about that at another time. Um, but w- when that had happened, I had a down, uh, obviously, um, in, uh, understandably, I think a downward spiral mentally, you know, I lost my world that day and, um, my kids lost their world that day and it was really bad. So I had my pain dealing with it. And then I had the pain because of the heart of empathy of my children, Mm -hmm. which, you know, if I could have taken all of their pain on me, I would have knowing that's impossible, but I did ask God for that. Mm. Take all their pain, put it on me. Please don't let them suffer. And, um, you know, I think he listened and I think uh, he did allow me to carry a lot of that weight. Yep. Very heavy. And what I can say is um, at the time, um, and there were a few other suicides uh, before and after my wife had died by suicide, um, where uh, there were some great programs out there. Um, and I don't want to say the name specifically, but uh, there were great programs out there and seminars out there that I can tell you, they definitely saved my life. And, and I got sent to some things by my agency um, that really helped save my life. Now, that being said, mental health was a shiny new penny for Mm. public safety around that time, five, six years ago, okay? It was a shiny new penny because people were realizing, oh man, this is bad, this is an epidemic. And I think you talked about numbers for police suicides. And I'm here to tell you as a survivor that, that for any, any survivor of suicide, it's, 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 insurmountable the pain um to the point where it drove me to almost take my own life and um you know you and i had talked about that offline before um man um those what what my agency put me through saved my life um but what i've seen happen over the years following that is when the new wears off the work begins right so the new wears off it's not shiny little penny anymore and there's there's other things coming out there um, the negativity towards police officers. And then you get buy-in on that from leadership and management. Mm. And now all of a sudden, we're not people who are suffering perpetually from experiencing what we experience. We're jackbooted racist murdering thugs. 
Mm. And that's and so you add the pain of two decades of police work and the internal stressors that come. And I'm going to tell you, the internal stressors that I feel and the majority of the, my brothers and sisters in blue feel is the stress comes from the inside. We, we, we you can trust a criminal because you know where he stands or she stands mm -hmm. more so than some of the people within the agencies that we're dealing with. Because whenever you do something that's righteous and good, that might not be the political wins of the day. So if it don't look good for them, that next brass ring looks better. So what are they going to do? You know what I'm saying? Do you under, you, oh, yeah, you yeah. No, definitely. Al, so this is the one thing that I touched on on an earlier episode where it talked about the shiny new penny. And unfortunately, uh, departments, police departments, law enforcement community, I'm sure business sectors and all these things change with the wind. And at the time, you were right, the, the health, the mental health of, uh, you know, law enforcement was at the forefront. And a lot of people make names off of certain programs that happen in police departments. And also they, they, they get rank or they get uh, positions made for them specifically for those things. And, you know, I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but would you say that because of the absolute trauma that you went through, um, as you touched on with your wife um, at the time, do you feel that now looking back at that and just looking back at the shiny penny, would you would you feel that there's a sense of use that they used um, and how it's it's almost like it's almost like exploiting a traumatic event in order for their gain. Um and I don't want to say that's what you said, but that's that's what I've said in the past. Well, the way I yeah, another good question, MC. The way I look at it is this. I think that the, it was a checkbox to you know for for whatever reason that needed to be there to say look look what we did. And okay, business as usual. Let's go back to what we were doing, you know, a couple of years later. Um worried more about um well, I worried less about troop welfare and, and mental mental health. Um, and let, let's let's not get it twisted, man. The uh, mental health professionals get burned out too, and the guys on those teams get burnt out too. But um, if that happens, then guess what? Management needs to step in and see that. What did I say earlier? Monitor your people. Yep. Instead of monitoring the next brass ring. Yep. And make changes. However, <laughs> that's not going to happen when those people who are supposed to be leading worry about themselves in the next rank as opposed to their troops. You see, a good leader, you won't know it by his words. You'll know it by his troops' actions. Yep. No, that's definitely true. And that's that's I've seen that. I've had great leaders, very few and far between, I've had great leaders in, in my lifetime. Um, and, you know, just to, give, just to go back on this, as far as, you know, one of the things that you touched on, I wanted to kind of, you know, touch on as well, is that even though it was a shiny new penny, I think one of the the hallmark of that whole thing was that you just stated that the therapy and the the programs that you know the department found for you saved your life yeah and that's right. and i touched on one earlier episode where you know as i learned in therapy because i went through my own issues and my own struggles as i learned through therapy i learned that empathy is connection and that connection is what we've been talking about which is connecting and getting to know 
not only the people that you work with and that you work for possibly, but also just connecting in the outside of maybe that sphere. I think part of the problem with a lot of police departments and the personnel is that the sphere of influence that they have are just other police officers. And a mm. lot of times they only lean on those police officers that aren't even really trained in, or not even trained, but aren't even thinking mental wellness. They're thinking, hey man, you wanna go blow off some steam? Let's go drink, mm. let's go to the mm. bar, or you know, let's go chase some skirt. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. These are the things that, from my experience, is what police officers do on how to cope with the traumatic things that are happening in their lives. On top of that, they also isolate with these people, which also makes it, you know, misery loves company. Correct. So with what you've learned, do you feel that keeping a, you know, you're a very faithful individual, um, not only did the therapy and the programs help you, but what was the long-term care that has continued to help you outside of what initially was done for you? Well, the long-term care, so the, the initial stuff was the catalyst to get me uh, the help. But the long-term care, because this isn't a one-time hit and you're done. This is, a, this is the rest of my life thing. Mm-hmm. This is the rest of my kids' life thing. The one thing I will say that has always carried is my brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus Christ, the church, and a Bible-following church. Yep. And um, continuing to understand that we must love one another, as Christ says, love one another. The heart of empathy, right? And... You know, I know you and I, we've, we've lived that heart of empathy, that love one another mentality. And um, that is what's going to get you through. And like, as iron sharpens iron, right? Yep. Um, we, we talk to each other. And we're meant to do that. We're meant for community. I think that's what makes good police officers. The heart of empathy, the want of community. Because look, when I was, uh, you know, patrolling an area, it was getting out of the cruiser and talking to the lady running the bodega, talking to the... Uh, you know, the guy running the um, uh, laundromat and just saying, hey, you know, saying, hey, how you doing? Not there trying to just garner information for a case or this or that. Sincerely being out there and talking to people. And it that gets forgotten by management because they're rubbing shoulders with politicians and they're looking at numbers. They're very uh, empirical with all their data. We're anecdotal and we speak two different languages. And it's almost like, the Roman Senate is them, and we're the plebeians. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a huge uh, gap. Yeah. And uh, that gap goes from management to first-line leadership and below. And that gap, how do you bridge it? You bridge it with promoting the right first-line, man, first-line supervisors into the management positions who aren't there for the next brass ring. They're there to have a bigger sphere of influence to make people's lives better. You know, you... you if once you have, you know, if you have twelve people under you as a supervisor, and you treat them like gold because they deserve it, they're going to go out into the community and treat people like gold. Um, when you get management that does the same, and they're they're in, they're in charge of one hundred and twenty people, you're going to have one hundred and twenty people going out there and treating everyone like gold because they're going to be happy and they're going to feel like a warm security blanket that hey, you know what? If I go out here and things get rough, as long as I'm Acting within the color of law, with righteousness and goodness in my heart, I'm going to be okay. Well, guess what? That's not the, how should I say? That's not the um, orders of the day for most police officers, especially in metropolitan areas. Now it's, no matter what I do, I'm wrong. 
Mm. No matter what I do, I'm going to be pro- uh, persecuted, prosecuted. Same, you know, almost the same, right? <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, you know, for those of us out there that really love people and took this job to chase bad guys and put them away to stop them from hurt, hurting innocent kids, the elderly who can't help themselves, or innocent people who cannot help themselves. That's why we took this job. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's, you know, you're hitting on so many different things. And that's that's the beauty of your experience is that, you know, we're getting down to one thing. We, we took the job to be altruistic because that's what our nature was, is to help people. And I'm sure we've done that outside of law enforcement because that was just our nature. Now, I did touch on one thing that the culture of policing where you get into the academy and then all of a sudden you're almost told to compartmentalize all these things, right? Like mm-hmm. you're taught to, you're, you're indoctrinated to think like you can't feel, right? Like, and this is kind of getting off script, but just kind of bringing up, uh, bring, bringing home something that I think needs a change where in order to really empathize, you need to, you need to change the training. You need to change certain models of how you're, you're uh, bringing up the next generation police officer. And that's the one thing that I see culturally, culture-wise within police departments. It starts from the academy where, where some places they still may scream at you like it's boot camp or they may try to break you down and all this other stuff and try to make you, quote unquote, mentally strong. And then ultimately, once you get on and you start working the job, all you're doing is going from call to call and you're just you're compartmentalizing all these things that you're seeing, whether it's a dead body, whether it's a, you know, body of a dead kid or, you know, wounds to a mother uh, from a domestic violence thing. Mm. So these are all things that we compartmentalize. And then ultimately, we're just put we're pushing all that. We're pushing all that to to do what? to do what with it? Because ultimately those are traumatic things that happen to us. And, you know, not to, to go further, there's a culture in policing where if you see a, if you see a crime or if you try to investigate a crime, there's a thing called a good, whatever, fill in the blank crime Mm. in order to let other people know that this is a legitimate crime. And they have, I've heard the word, hey, this is a good rape, or this is a good homicide, or this is a good domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Like, at what point do we, and not to get into it, but honestly, these are the things that we do in order to not really feel for what the situation is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we, we disassociate our feelings by labeling something as if it's like, we got to compartmentalize it as like good or bad. And it's weird, right? Like it's a bad rape, meaning like that rape didn't happen. It was made up. Mm. <laughs> but if it did happen, then we say, oh, that's a good rape. <laughs> mm-hmm. right, right, <laughs> you see right. what I'm saying? I do. So imagine the psyche that imagine how that plays on the psyche. Like, what is your thoughts on that? And I know we're going off script here. No, all good. But I, what is your thought process on that? Well, I've thought about that often on, in different situations. And uh, I want to say this. Words mean something. If you sit someone in front of a television and torture them with one sentence over and over and over, eventually that those words are going to have a severe impact. So <laughs> I know that's kind of odd to say, but words mean something. Whenever, whenever you're indoctrinated to th- think a certain way, the thought police or, uh, you know, uh, you can say this, but you can't say that and controlling words. When you control words, you control thoughts. Yep. All right. So when you're controlling words by saying that, you know, it's a good murder, it's a good rape, whatever. 
um, that affects the psyche, right? Uh, it does. It's been proven to do that. There are studies on that, on how words, re-education re camps, whenever, <laughs> they, you know, whenever they, uh, throughout history in Cambodia and all these other places where all these horrific acts have occurred, um, words mean something. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that plays a huge part in the psyche of police officers when, you know, police jargon, right? Police jargon. Why do you think they teach us verbal judo? Because <laughs> words mean something. Exactly. Words affect actions. Yep. Right. And pe evil people can use it for their gain, c controlling people's words, which you can and can't say PC culture and good people can use it to control as well. And, and sometimes it's not in a good way. Sometimes it is in a good way. But to your point, yeah, those words can affect psyche. And with police work, it affects psyche in the, in the form of compartmentalizing. Words have power. Absolutely. So that so let me let me get into this then, uh, Al. Um, you know, we see what's happening day in and day out. It seems like, especially in certain cities, like you know, you have Portland, you have New York City. Uh, just recently, this past night, I think it was where was it? Wisconsin, um, and you have these incidents that happen that spark national debate on how policing is racist, how policing is needs to change. Uh, they're just out to kill certain people, certain races. Um, and then you also have the backings of community leaders that mm -hmm. affect, mm -hmm. that affect uh, leadership in, in police departments, affect right. chiefs, affects policy. Right. These are all things that obviously can affect the psyche of police officers out on the street. And the thing is, is my question is, because we're on mental health, what are these people doing when all of this is done? You know, in the sense of like, what would you suggest that could be done to help officers that are obviously going to be in crisis after whatever situations they've gotten into or even just the the demonizing of their actions? And because a lot of us you know, in law enforcement, you internalize your work. You internalize what you're doing for the community. And then when you're not supported, as we've talked about from your leadership, it goes to a shame core where you start thinking that you're not worthy of this or that. And then that goes into a spiral where the person may end up thinking about taking their own life. Uh, obviously, with with probably other things that are attached to that, right? Right. So my question to you is, what suggestions, what thoughts do you have on how to help these officers in the future, or even now, that could go into crisis? Well, a lot of what I think would be the uh, a, a good start is everything we had talked about uh, from the beginning of the uh, podcast. But, I mean... The root cause of every issue in any department or any, any, any workplace, if there's problems, the root cause is going to be leadership. And not mid-level. If there's huge problems in an agency, the, the root cause is going to be leadership. And that can be the city managers, county managers, you know, whatever they have, supervisors. Um, and uh, a change of, of the way of thinking. Um, becoming more... Uh, attuned to both sides of that conversation, not just listening to the loudest voice in the room. Because let's face it, police officers can't get political. Well, they're starting to now because they found out that 
you can't just sit on your hands and expect the politicians to uh, tell the truth, mm-hmm. right? Right. So now law enforcement is trying to get the, the truth out there through FOPs, unions, whatever, and uh, podcasts, anything. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, what we see right now is the loudest voice in the room being heard. The media is not telling the full story. Um, you know, I've been to certain places uh, uh, in the state that I work where we were the other side of the conversation. <laughs> Patriotic Americans uh, loving, you know, the freedoms that we have in this country and understanding where they come from and the struggles. And in that crowd, all races, all religions, all creeds, all nationalities, uh, people from uh, recent migrants from Vietnam, Honduras, uh, Canada, all over that are now Americans who came together as one. And what I saw was a narrative that's not being pushed out because what what we're seeing now is a political agenda. And right now, the flavor of the month or year, if you will, is let's just let's attack the cops. Let's go after them because of, quote, systematic racism. Oh, I can tell you no one that I've ever worked with has been systematically racist or racist or whatever you want to call it. Because as a leader, if I saw that, I'm doing everything to get your ass out of there. Because you're not going to come in to the organization that I work for and the men and women that I work with and tarnish our name by being a racist asshole. I worship a God that that came down as a man and was Middle Eastern. Okay? (laughs) Right. His race means nothing to me. What matters is the heart, the empathy, the love one another. Yep. You you, you get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. I get it. What, what can be done to fix that? Well, my suggestion is we need to start having reverse evaluations. What I mean by that is having troops evaluate management. And then those reports get sent to the politicians who appoint per- certain personnel and make their decisions based off of that, as well as community uh, input. Right. And what we're starting to see, thank God, is a resurgence of the patriotic, hardworking American because let's face it, they just want to go to work, take care of their kids, not be bothered with politics. Well, everyone's finding out they can't do that no more because the people are the police and the police are the people. Well, guess what? The majority of people are hardworking, good people. It doesn't matter what checkbox they're in. But what we see is uh, management and, and police police departments catering to the political whims of the day, which is basically, hey, eat your own or you're not part of us. Yeah. You know, and that's huge. And again, you know, these are all factors like we're talking about a political landscape. We're talking about uh, police landscape and they're all intersecting with one another. And part of that and how that affects from the top down is suicide, is mental health with the with with the troops that are actually going out on the front lines and dealing with these situations Mm. that could be deadly uh, every single day. And so, you know, one thing that I uh, keep thinking is, you know, you have this Chicago um, PD, the newly appointed uh, deputy chief, and he ends up killing himself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as like I want to say it was two days after he got appointed as a promotion. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a time to be jubilant. That's a time to be happy. Your family should be happy. You get a promotion. You know, they probably did a whole thing where they gave him his new badge. You know, and then here we have here we have him and internally he's suffering, as you've talked about. And 
you know, who knows what was going through his mind, you know, and who knows what the department could have done or what precursors of his behavior, even the things that maybe he stated or or the difference in his personality uh, came out to where those are indicators that this person may be in crisis and may be in need. And unfortunately, you're right. We see a leadership in departments that are turning a blind eye to that because like we've stated, this is not the this is not the the flavor of the month mm-hmm. thing to do, right? Like I'm not going to I'm not really paying attention to that because really I can't make a name off of it anymore. So therefore I'm just gonna turn a blind eye to it or not mm-hmm. even really notice it. And I know there was one person on the department that um that I used to work for that killed himself in the parking lot of the station that he worked at. And, you know, I heard all types of stories of how, you know, there were certain things that came out about that. And the thing is, is that we have leaders, right, that are out here touting mental health. But yet, do they really care? Do they really care, Al, about the the little man that's out there going through each day in and out and, you know, what what things are being done on the department that you've been with uh, that are helping that even today or, or have they gone away from it? It's all based on the individual, the, the individual leader. Um, you know, currently my my mid mid level management is is great. And they're they're uh, they do everything to make sure that mentally we're healthy. Um, they talk to us on a constant basis, one on one or over a, over a uh, phone call or whatever and say, Hey, how are you doing? Do you need this? Do you need that? What do you need? Um, and they do it to a point where sometimes it's like, God dang. All right. But you know what? <laughs> that is 100 times better and what a leader should be doing. And that's a hundred times better than damn, this dude don't give a care about me or this girl don't give a care about me. Right. So there, when my wife had killed herself, right mm-hmm. on that date mm-hmm. every day, I get one person to contact me, and that's the person who initially responded and went downstairs and called me on the phone. And that dude, I got so much respect for him because what he does is the heart of a paladin, the heart of empathy, right? A mm-hmm. heart of love one another, mm-hmm. as, as Jesus commands mm-hmm. us to do. He checks on me every year. Hey, I know what today is. You doing all right? Now he's mid level. He's not, uh he's first line. Yep. Right now, let me ask you. As upper management, something like that dramatic happens. I would ensure there's a little there's a little thing called Microsoft Outlook calendar thing. <laughs> you can put a reminder in there, right? Yeah. I mean, but, that- me, but, but but you know. <laughs> That's just one of the things. That's just one of the things. You know, there's so many more things that can be done. But when the flavor of the month is eat your own because the political winds are, we're telling you what we think of you. You better get in line or you're out of the Roman Senate and you're going to be just another plebeian. So they stand up there swirling their wine and the skulls of dead officers laughing. And I say that not trying to be funny. I say that because that's exactly how me in a large amount, I would say a majority, a large overwhelming majority of officers feel. And that's that right there is 
it's a shame. And to have that fall on the backs, the shoulders of the frontline people, even the frontline supervisors in any police department is, is atrocious, right? Uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about leadership and how that plays into that plays into mental health. And the lack of leadership, I guess, is what we're talking about with how it plays into mental health. These are simple things that you're talking about. You just talked about a person uh, who responded to the traumatic incident. I mean, the tragedy, right, that you still mm. live today. And, every day. And, and every day, right? And, and the smallest thing that he does is he calls you on that anniversary to see how you're doing. Isn't that amazing that that one little thing, right? Just even the aspect of just even giving somebody a quick pat on the back and roll call and saying, hey, you're doing a good job. That's right. You know, these are little things that doesn't take anything. It doesn't take a, doesn't take a committee, doesn't take a study. It doesn't take anything other than the fact is, is that you just have to care. It takes an empathetic heart. It takes empathy. And you can't teach empathy. You have <laughs> it or you don't. And you cannot. So... You can, you can love people and not lead them, but you cannot lead people without loving them. That's Point true. blank. Yep. Because what, what care are you really going to have? Because ultimately it's going to be what? It's, it's going to be about yourself. Mm -hmm. What's in it for me? Right. Like look at these funerals that we have, right? We have these police funerals all over the country. And that's when the first time you probably see your chief or your commanders that come to these funerals. Whether it's a most of the time it's a on online in in the line of duty death, right? Mm. And you have these very publicized funerals, and all of a sudden you see all these people and they're making such grand gestures, and then a month, two months, three months after that, what do you get? You don't get anything. You don't get a handshake. You don't get what you've talked about. You don't get a reminder. Even from the brass that is supposed to be there to support you. The ones that had the program made to where they're saying, we want this person to be looked after. We want this person to be uh, uh, cherished for who they are and what they're doing for us. And ultimately, that's all smoke and mirrors. I, just, I would just like to see the vigor for those programs be reinstated, be uh, revitalized like it was for when I was going through my crisis. Because... If it was, and there was a constant refreshing of that of those programs, we would see a lot less suicides. We'd see a lot happier cops in the street, which in turn leads to a lot better customer service. But again, it takes managers with hearts of empathy, which turns them from managers to leaders, by the way, because I do not like to use the word leader unless it's earned. Mm. Mm. So... With all this being stated, and you, you've been brave coming on here, you've been brave talking about uh, your own mental struggle, your own mental health struggles, um, you know, as far as what has worked for you. One of the things I brought up to the department that I worked for, to the head to peer support guy, right, that, that was part of this program, the one thing that I brought up, which obviously we all know people in a police department that has been a target of an investigation, whether it be uh, low-level criminal or even uh, criminal just based off of an officer-involved shooting or criminal based off of a tasing that they did, or even administratively uh, officers that get targeted. And then the first thing that happens is that they're ostracized from the police department, meaning 
they're, they're relieved of duty, their gun and badge are taken, their rights to be a police officer in that sense are taken away. They're left to be alone in a sense because the majority of the time, most people do what? They, they stay clear of this certain individual because mm-hmm. that person could be toxic for them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. One idea that I had is why don't police departments, if they really care about mental health and, we care, and we're talking about empathy and connection, why don't police departments start having groups of these individuals that are for for a better word uh, ostracized based on whatever investigation they're going through why don't they have in a sense kind of like an AA meeting mm, where mm-hmm. these individuals can come together they can talk about in, in in a way indirectly about what's going on with their life as it pertains to what's going on with the investigation and how they're feeling because ultimately this works for Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. This works for uh, traumatic incidences with PTSD. We talk about connection. How come police departments aren't doing this? And I say that rhetorically. So, you know, mm-hmm. give me your thoughts on that. <laughs> well, my thoughts are on, uh, on that are this. That's all good in theory. But I'll go back to the Bible for this. When Jesus would hang around the tax collectors, the whores, the dirty people, the lepers, who gave him a hard time? The Pharisees. Right. The political power of the day. Mm. So what manager out there is going to put his job out there to take care of those people that now I'm not saying the people under investigation are lepers and whores. And, no, what I'm <laughs> no. saying is, right. the time, you know, the word of the day was, oh, he hangs around people that are uh, less than. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. He hangs around people who are in trouble. These people who may or may not have done something horrible. So. What 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 leader or manager, what manager is going to go out there and put himself out there when his job's on the line? Jesus's job is on the line. They killed him for, you know, for it. Right. His yep. ministry. Yep. Um, so hypothetically. Right. Um, what manager is going to allow himself to be crucified for the good of his people to heal hearts, to love one another? You show me that manager and I'll show you a battalion of police officers that will follow him to hell and back. Never. That's and that and unfortunately, that's what you're talking about. Is that's a that's if it is happening, we haven't seen it yet. Not yet in my career have I seen it with management. Yes, I've seen some people on the management level that were leaders, and everyone knew it. But guess what happened to those those guys and girls? Pushed out. They get pushed out. Because they make everybody else look bad. It, it's, it's an indictment on the other people and that don't care. Correct. And that's, that's that right there in itself is the insidious nature of policing, right? Like the people that you know, that I know, that have been good leaders just naturally because they've been they, they, in their head, in their mind, in their heart. They want to take care of their people. Regardless of the position that they hold, they account they have the empathy to want to take care of their people. And mm. what is the first thing that happens is that they're lauded by the troops. So therefore, the other command staff or the other brass gets jealous of that. And then they ultimately try to push this individual out. That in itself Correct. is a nutshell. That's the culture that I've been talking about, that you've been talking about. I, I honestly um, hope 
that we get to a place in law enforcement and just even community, right? Because this is a whole communal thing. It isn't about us against them. It isn't about uh, anything other than it's a communal thing. We we were part of the community. We still are part of the community. And putting our voices out there just like this and building connections is right. what matters. And police officers do that every single day. Hey, look, the story of America is a fabric that's getting woven constantly, right? And it's, it's, it's forever changing. What doesn't change is the foundation, that constitution, those rights that we have as individuals, and the love that we're supposed to have for each other as a Judeo-Christian community. The love for one another. Look, you can, you can get in a fight with someone and still love them. Yep. You can get you can have to use force on somebody and still love them to effect an arrest. Right. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to get that person safely into custody to get him. And the help he needs might be time time in jail to think about what he did. Or it might be get them to the hospital so they can get their medication. Right? Yep. But that can only be effectively done when the police officers know that they have the backing from their administration, that they're not going to be demonized from the first second out of the gate. Yeah. So America, you know, we're, we're praying for you. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) No, definitely. And you know, this whole thing has been, we've touched on a lot of different topics. Uh, You know, we been sitting here for almost an hour, you know, Al, I just appreciate you coming in. I appreciate you being brave and talking about uh, what's happened in your life, what's happened in your career and just your thoughts on what can be better. Uh, because there's always room for improvement. I think that's Mm. another thing about leadership is that there's always room for improvement. Mm. And we always have to self-evaluate in order to, you know, evaluate others. And, you know, so I'll leave you with this. And I just want you to have the final thought. Uh, But I'll leave you with this is that, you know, part of part of all this is therapy, right? Doing this podcast, going out there talking to people, connecting with people that you may not feel that, you know, for whatever reason, they may not relate to you, but yet you put yourself out there, you put yourself in a vulnerable position by allowing people to see who you are. And that's what you've done here today. And I I applaud you for that. So I'll leave you with whatever final thought you want to talk about. um, And then we'll close it up, man. Cool. So my final thought is this, if you're, uh, if if you wear the uniform as a uh, troop, or first line, you're out there and you're hurting, call somebody, talk to someone. Do not bear this pain by yourself. Pain shared, when you share pain, the pack gets lighter. The pack gets lighter. I, I, I've been there. Um, MC's been there. Um, and if you're a leader out there, you better, start cha- you better start softening your heart for your people and loving them and taking care of them, which in turn takes care of the community, which in turn takes care of this experiment called America. You got to love one another. That's all I got to say. Ladies and gentlemen, straight from Al's mouth to you, I'm so honored that he came on this uh, episode as my first guest. He is an incredible voice for not only uh, people out there struggling with mental health, but also specifically for the men and women in blue. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Obviously, you can always contact me at brownie3217 at gmail.com. I'll say it again, brownie. 3217 at gmail.com. Mi gente, mis hermanas, mis hermanos, muchísimas gracias, muchísimas gracias uh, for everything that you guys do, for everything that you guys do out there and for what you sacrifice on a daily, daily basis. Thank you. Adios.